Welcome to the WNBA Insider Podcast featuring Eli Horowitz. Hi, folks. I'm Arya Schwartz, also known as WNBA Insider's founder. I'm here with Eli Horowitz, and we are going to break down specifically two teams in the league. But before we do that, we're going to do a little recap of what's happened in free agency, starting with today and moving our way backwards. A big announcement for Atlanta Dream fans, a lot of question marks. Angel McCautry is back. And that has got to be a huge relief to the teams. Eli, do you think this this makes you think more or less likely that some moves are going to happen for Atlanta? Real quick. Um, well, first of all, it, it is very big news because she is an MVP caliber player. And so it definitely, again, anytime you have a move that shifts the kind of title or playoff picture, it's big. Um my, like I said on last pod, uh, um, they have great depth at the guard position, but they don't have a lot of guards that are three-point shooters. So I think if they could find a deal that would net them a shooter for one of their backcourt players, you know, whether it be Hayes, Clarendon, McCautry, I mean, there's no, I mean, everyone should be on the table, right? So... I think they should look into can they get an all-star caliber shooter. But if not, I think you just roll with what you have and 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 um, let that be a strength of the team, their, their speed and ability to push their ball and their depth at the guard position. All right. Then we move back. Elena Beard re-signs with the Sparks. I don't think that needs much explanation for anybody. She's the top defender defending her title as defender or defensive player of the year last year. She's an important clog in that machine, so that's amazing to hear. On the other side of that big-time rivalry, as they're dubbing it, and the, the Clash of the Titans, Minnesota makes some interesting moves. They sign and trade Natasha Howard to Seattle with an interesting move that I think is some, some muscle flexing by Cheryl Reeve. They, they trade her over there for a second-round pick this year and the option to swap first-round picks next year, which is her basically saying, I know we're going to the playoffs. You probably won't, in my opinion. That, that's a little smack talk. If, if, I'm a, if I'm a first-time GM, that's some smack talk. Uh, they also get Zandalasini, sign her, and add uh, uh, Kaiser to the team along with Miam from France. Your thoughts real quick. So far, so good from GM Cheryl Reeve. And not that I, you know, I expected her to be very good. And obviously she was a big part of, the GM decisions prior to officially holding the title, but still it, it was a change in her title and you had to let, you have to give it some time to evaluate. But I believe the, 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 the Howard trade, um, I believe the Lynx won that trade. I, I just think they saw enough from her to realize she wasn't going to be a game changer. You know, I thought when she was out there in the finals, she really frankly just, didn't really provide much. And I think the Sparks really dominated the minute she was out there. So you got a second round pick and, and this is a very deep draft. And I think that you can get a player that there's more upside to having Howard then, you know? So I think very savvy move there and, and really an underrated one. Yeah. Well, I mean, only time will tell how it, uh, how it really shapes up. In other news, the Mercury re-signed Camille Little, which I think had a lot of people scratching their heads just because of recent moves they've made. Uh, let's not hop into, cause I mean, we're going to cover them in a whole podcast on their own, but real quickly, what are your initial thoughts? What that means for the roster? 
Seems a little strange given they just got Sancho Little from Atlanta. I feel like there's a bit of a redundancy there, and I I think Griner needs to play alongside a stretch four. Um, and then Connecticut was able to trade for, was it George, who was kind of a shooting big that Phoenix had? So I'm a little confused as to their direction given their need for shooting. Yeah, uh, they also they they added uh, Yvonne Turner back to the squad too. But I, I gotta agree, there's there's a lot of question marks going there. Um, another thing that we've moved on to Seattle's Seattle's done a quiet but steady job. They've <clears throat> they've added a few down low players. They added uh, Sammy Whitcomb back to the team. They got Courtney Paris. Um, I know you're not the biggest fan of Courtney Paris's game currently. Do you think Seattle is taking steps just in general towards the right direction of making the playoffs? Well, eight out of 12 teams make the playoffs. So I think in February, like you have to kind of say all 12 teams are still in it, right? Because depending on how the draft goes, depending on how a couple of these last moves shape up, you know, you still have Cappy Pondexter on the market who, who could kind of put a team to that playoff level. So I'm not going to – like Seattle made it last year. They still have Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, um, Sue Bird. So they're obviously going to be in the mix. But I don't think they've made any deals that move the needle. You know, I don't see them – I the only improvement I see them is just as much as Stewart and Lloyd improve as opposed to like these periphery moves. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear that. Um that's it for, for the recap of the, of the free agency period right now. We covered everything else in our first podcast. So let's move in to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, and that's our deep dive. We're going to start with the Dallas Wings. They've been not necessarily making a huge splash, but then they, they definitely caught headlines with the, the addition of uh, Liz Cambage, and she adds a new element to the team that the team, I mean, we've spoke about off, off the record, but we, but the team lacked that down low true center presence. Um, and she's definitely a dominant force down there. I don't want to force us to start with her. Cause I think that she kind of brings a, a, an interesting story and we could go into her for a while. But when you look at this Dallas wings roster, they were knocked out of the playoffs in, uh, in, Pretty cool fashion, I must say, being at the game in D.C. We had some highlights. I see a lot of upside for this team, and a lot of the fans are going wild with these new signings and with having such a young squad. Looking at the team, what's your first thought process is, all right, last year we made it to the first round of the playoffs with, I think, like five uh, five rookies. You have the rookie of the year, and you also got some vets and some big names, Skyler, Glory, and uh, KCK. What's your thought as far as the direction as, as, as a team going into next season or this season? Well, um, just quickly, I also want to remind our, our listeners kind of why we're – or do you want to take that? I, just before we dive in, I just – because I know we, we kind of have some new subscribers and I, I kind of want them to understand why we're really doing this deep dive just one more time. Yeah, so we've spoken about it, and I think it's something that is discussed often between fans and people who cover the WNBA, which is there's often, we always say five. There's five headlines that are covered in the WNBA, and a lot of times, you know, you have the the star-studded links, you have the star-studded sparks, and then you have 
the up and coming son, and then you have a big market in New York and a great person and a great team there. And then you're really stuck with one more. And you can't forget about, you know, Sue Bird stories or DT stories. So often, like, there, there just isn't enough coverage of the league to get coverage on every team. And I think often a lot of teams fall through the cracks. And we, as, as a group, as an organization, as WNBA Insider, want to be able to give attention to each team because we think each team is worthy of that attention and is like, I mean, yeah. Do you, do you want to add anything to that? I'll just add that we, we don't want to just cover headlines. Like, like you saw, we did five minutes of news and, and we will bring that news because it's news and it's relevant, but we want to really get into the film, the X's and O's, the coaching, um, and really make, we want you to leave our podcast feeling like you learned something both about the teams you're a fan of and the rest of the league. And what I love about the WNBA is because there's 12 teams, you can really get to know the league um, really well. Like in the NBA, it, it's hard. There's so many teams and players. And so we want you to leave feeling like you didn't just hear what Dallas did in free agency. We want you to really think about the coaching, their strategy, and get get that kind of deep dive. So I, I just thought, given we have some new subscribers, I just wanted to reiterate that. Um, but let me, let me dive to your question. I, I think this signing is really fascinating. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, the history, right? She she played for them several years ago, has been playing in Australia. So, so there's the timing is, is kind of interesting. Um, and I'll let you get more to that. I think you, you might know more than me on, on kind of that history and, and why now. Um, but from a basketball standpoint, I, I'm, you know, I'm a bit on the fence because on one hand, it, it gives them something they really need and lacked, as you mentioned, is a true center who um, at least poses a threat. You know, this is really a center league in terms of Sylvia Fowles, Tina Charles, John Quell Jones, um, you know, Parker Nagumakwe. I mean, you can go on and on. So you need to have somebody who can at least stand up at that position. Having said that, I feel like what Dallas's style is to push the ball, to use athleticism, um, to get to the free throw line. They were first in WNBA last year in drawing fouls. Um, now, does she fit into kind of what they're trying to do? Or is she somebody where you have to really slow down the offense, throw it into the post, um, everyone else just kind of stands around? So I think that Obviously, this is a gamble worth taking, but I do think we, we need to hold up and say, like, how does this actually fit with their style? Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, I feel like I'm always saying that we, we agree a lot on that. I've been watching a lot of her film, you know, going through film of when she was facing WNBA opponents. Um, but obviously, that's that's a few years old. So I've been also looking at a lot of her recent play and then, you know, checking out some of her play as far as international and the Olympics and. And, and FIBA and all that jazz. And I gotta say, I she she's mobile for her size, but she just isn't, you know, Sylvia Fowles and is is a unique style of play in the W because look at who her who her competition is at her level. You know, you're talking about Brittany Griner, who's much more who's gonna run the court much more 
is going to shoot the ball much more than Sylvia is. Um, and is just Sylvia is much more of a true center in comparison to a lot of the other top tier centers in the league. Now, not to say that I always remind people that Sylvia does have a shot. She can, you know, hit that baseline jumper if need be. I mean, at her size, it's not really a jumper. But what I'm saying is, is that if, if you're going to be on that level and you have to start talking about the, okay, so forget about the, top, the bottom tier teams. She's competing against the likes of Candace Parker and NECA. She's competing against Jonquil Jones. She's competing against Brittany Griner. And she's competing against Sylvia Fowles. And, and Tina Charles, fine, I'll include in that, but not in the same in the same respect. But so you're talking about how does she compare to those five players right there? She's gonna she's gonna be a good defender. She's gonna bring that same physicality, and that's a, a topic we'll get to later about the wings. But I agree, you know, you have a young team that likes to run the ball. How is she gonna fit into that? And I don't think that she's gonna cause the giant jump that everyone thinks unless they severely changed their style of play. Now, I know you've been looking at some video and some stats as far as their their pick and rolls and whatnot. What do you see as far as a style of game that would be beneficial with the players they have and the adding of Liz? Well, the biggest problem I saw from Dallas last year, first of all, they were 11th in defense, so that's pretty bad. Let's just call it like it is, um, 11 out of 12. Um, and when I dove into the the film looking at synergy and and the film itself the biggest issue i saw was their pick and roll defense they were 11th in pick and roll defense and pick and roll is the most common play in basketball i think even the casual fans obviously understand what that is but how you defend it is more complicated and there's a lot of ways you can defend it going over the screen going under the screen Switching the screen, having the big drop back in a more conservative fashion, having the big hedge out in a more aggressive fashion. And what I saw is they would often hedge out with their big. So when the screen happens, the big, um, whether that was Courtney Paris um, or it was Glory Johnson, whoever it was maybe involved in the screen, would hedge out onto the ball handler And they'd have their guard kind of go under and try to meet them on the other side. And the the reality is that their bigs were just not mobile. They could not get out there and really stop the ball handler. And so the ball handler just got to rev up their engine and go straight to the basket. And their guards couldn't catch up. And this is really somewhat of an outdated – I mean, you still see hedging a lot at the college level, um, somewhat in the WNBA. But – even like in the NBA, almost no teams really do that. You know, Jason Kidd actually just got fired for the Bucks, and a lot of the talk was because they were playing this overly aggressive style. Um, and you just get – like when you're playing against professionals and you're overly ag- aggressive, you can just get burned. And, and so I, I don't know why they were employing that strategy, especially with a big like Courtney Paris who's, who's not that mobile. I, I would think you would just want to drop her back and play a more conservative style. And looking at the numbers again, Alicia Gray was 12th percentile in pick-and-roll defense, really just got crushed. And she's a good one-on-one defender. Um, and when I looked at the film, like she, was, she wasn't dying on screen. She was really hustling and doing her best to stay in plays. 
but I just don't think the scheme really set up the personnel for success. Um, especially a rookie like her, um, whereas a more conservative drop back scheme, I think would have really allowed her to work with Courtney Paris, um, to contain the pick and roll. So I have a lot of questions. That, that's a long-winded way to say I have a lot of questions about the scheme, the defensive schemes. I have no doubt this team has the personnel to be a playoff team and and be a dark horse threat, but the schemes were not doing them any favors. And if you're 11th in defense, you're not a title contender, point blank, period. So I have to bring in a little stat about this, and I want your take on this. I'm looking at... Overall team ratings in, in advanced stats, all right? Losses versus wins. And looking at the defensive rating in losses was 114.9, and in wins was 98.9. To me, that just pops off the stat sheet. Can you say that one more time? Defensive rating in losses was 114.9. And in wins was 98.9. Yeah, and just for, for the fans out there, basically when you look at offensive and defensive rating, you kind of use 100 as the benchmark. So offensively, you want to be above 100, right? 100, I would say, is it's okay. It's average. Because it, it's per, um, for those who don't know, it's per 100 possessions. So you're not necessarily getting 100 possessions in a game. So they, they kind of baseline it. So you want to be above 100 offensively, and the great, great defenses are below 100. So you want to be below 100 on defense. So yeah, 100. So basically their defensive rating and losses was 114. That's awful. Um, yeah. And like I said, the, the pick and roll coverage is the main culprit. Um, that's the thing. I know, I know a lot of... WNBA fans also watch college. In the college game, um, you can help a lot more. In the pros, you can't help as much. And so you have to try to contain the pick and roll with two people. And if you have Courtney Paris or, or a mobile immobile big having to hedge out, then you, you're going to have no help at the rim. And when I watch, they're just giving up layup after layup. Um, so I think with Cambage coming in, and, and I might be butchering the pronunciation, um, I think she's a little bit more mobile, but I still don't, um, you know, I mean, you really dove into the film on her. I dove more into the film on them last year. How mobile is she? Do you think she can succeed in a hedging kind of scheme, or do you think it's going to be the same problem and they need to go, like I've said, to a more traditional drop back conservative scheme where they just have her waiting at the rim no i mean like all right i'm not going to take the spot of, of their coach but I, i'm going to be completely honest i think they need to update their scheme she is much more mobile and just based off her size she covers i mean her wingspan and her ability to get into people's faces from across the field like she's i'm not talking she's a huge upgrade as far as mobility next to courtney paris or next to so do you think she could hedge out or it's still going to be smarter to leave her back more conservatively? I think you should leave her back more conservatively, but here's the thing. They got to the playoffs doing that and now the, doing, you know, hedging out with Courtney Paris. Now you have a similar team. But it wasn't, it wasn't because of their defense. They were 11. No, but exactly, but here's the argument to be made that says, all right, without our defense, now we can execute this defense better and think of our, our limit is mu- like – 
what we can accomplish should be much higher because if we're taking a similar team that got to the playoffs, you know, just tweak one of our weaknesses to make it a little bit better. But I don't think that should be the mindset of this, this team. You have a very talented team. I'm not saying win now, but I think you need to start adapting to the young players and to the times and, and be a little bit more conservative. Yeah, and just just a break in the action. The WNBA schedule did just come out. I don't, I don't think we need really need to talk about. it. I think that's kind of like an overhyped storyline. Like, it's exciting, but te- every team's going to play every team. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Um, um, I I don't know. See again, I we need to, we. And I'm, this is why I'm glad we're doing these deep dives because we're really going to get to know these teams. And I, I, I'm I want to talk with uh, Fred Williams. I, I actually want to ask him because from what I see from the film, if they just make that tweak and drop back their big in pick and roll, they are going to be a very scary team. Because the thing is, they have good individual defenders like Glory Johnson with her length, Skylar Diggins. Uh, I think she could get better. She she she's an okay defender. Uh, the the numbers would suggest she's average at best, but I think she has the athleticism to be a good defender. Alicia Gray is a very good one on one defender. Kayla Davis is a very good one on one defender. But the scheme needs to allow them to succeed. And if they just drop their center at the rim, it will allow these other players, the guards and the wings, to be more aggressive knowing they have help behind them. The problem with hedging out is if you're over-aggressive and you get beat, there's nobody at the rim. And again, if if any of you are NBA fans, it really reminds me of the problem with the Milwaukee Bucks that ultimately led to Jason Kidd's firing. So if you're a Dallas Wings fan, the good news is they're not far from, from a small schematic tweak in their pick and roll, I think really takes this team from a 500 fringe playoff team to a team that, like, you know, could make the conference finals. Or is fighting for, you know, a top four, a top four seed. Right. Well, now, something and, that I want to bring up that we haven't spoke about is, and I think this is something very encouraging for Dallas Wings fans, Ariel Powers. Like last year, you know, she had some had some lagging issues. Didn't get start till later on, but she gets in there, and once she got going, I mean, she really got going. And to have her, I mean, what she only played, I think, like twelve games, something like that. So, like, yeah, I mean, looking at her stats, yeah, twelve games. She was she, she was averaging twenty minutes per game towards the end of the season. She was finally give that up. She's shooting 81% free throw percentage. I mean, this girl can ball. She has a full season of, of, of health, or full off season of health in her, and now she's kicking back. This team is deep. Absolutely. Um, she's another player that the metrics suggest she was a poor defender. But, she, again, I, I believe with the right scheme – they just have such great length. Like, it's going to be hard to beat a lot of um, their individual defenders off the dribble, if that makes sense. Um, so, uh, again, beating what, a dead horse. What do you mean by that? Drop back. Well, you explain for the listeners what you mean by off the dribble. It's going to be hard to beat them. For example, like, the length that they have um, – like a Glory Johnson and Alicia Gray 
Um, individually, if they're trying to guard somebody, I believe they have the athleticism to make it very difficult, right? So, you know, let's say Maya Moore is trying to go one-on-one. They have the personnel to at least make the elite stars of this league work. Now, I'm not saying those players are Elena Beard good on defense, but my point is they have the athleticism to contain individuals or at least make them really have to work. But what happens is when teams run screening actions, like a pick and roll or a pin down and whatnot, if you don't have the right schemes in place, um, it kind of takes that individual defensive skill out of the equation and allows teams to really attack them. And that's what I was kind of explaining about being overly aggressive and not having people to protect the rim. Um, so I believe this, like, if I, like, as a coach, I would be, this is the team I would want to be coaching, just in terms of the roster, with the length and versatility. Um, but the schemes is where I would say needs to change. Um, let, let's hit the offense a little bit, though, right? I mean, I, I feel like they were they led the league in getting to the foul line. Um, do you? Do, I, I wanted to ask you, like, do you feel like this team is kind of missing that one like elite offensive player? Um, that can take over games or do you feel like they can really do it by committee um, and compete with the best? I'm so torn on this. I'm going to just pick a side and say, I think they do. Um, I think it's something that we've seen be kind of created in, in the way the links do it, which is a, and I I hate doing NBA comparisons, so I'm not even going to do it, but you see teams do this when you get a lot of powerful, great players together. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not jumping the gun on Dallas. I don't think you have a lot of great players on there. You have a lot of very skilled players, very young players, some great players. But, like, you're not there where you can, you know, say you have a ton of great players. What I will say is they are so skilled and so athletic for the most part that this team truly can, as they grow older together or kind of get into their primes together, they can be that team that doesn't need that one star. You have players like Glory Johnson who can make a crazy block and then run the court if need be. You have players like Skylar Diggins who can make a shot if need be. So The thing is that I think is going to be a cool and a very interesting storyline to watch throughout the season is for Dallas, how Skylar takes the leadership of this team. We saw it in other ways. And I think one of the, and it was even brought up in the press conference following uh, the loss to Washington in Washington, where she admitted and that after being asked, you know, is, is it your mindset to feed the ball more and to get other players more involved? Or should you be saying, okay, it's my time to step up in that game? She, a lot of press and a lot of people were talking about how she needed to involve other people. She can't get the ball around that game. Instead of taking over, she really fed the ball around. How is she going to decide? She needs to be that player on the team that says, okay, there's some nerves. I'm going to settle it. I'm not talking in the same way that you were just saying about having, you know, the, the shot always goes to her. But I like it kind of in a way that the Lynx do or the Mercury do when they get it to their key player to calm everybody. And that player kind of goes, all right, I trust you. You're doing it. It's your turn. My concern, though, is Skylar, for all the criticism she may have gotten, 
Um, she actually was an ex- excellent on offense. Um, her spot ups, meaning when she's open to shoot and just receiving the pass in like a shooting scenario, 74th percentile. That's very good on synergy. Um, in the pick and roll, she was excellent as a ball handler. Um, 86th percentile in the league as a ball handler in the pick and roll. Um, in ISO, she was very good. Very good in isolation, 72nd percentile. So that's my one concern is like she's actually been really good. I, how much better do you think she can be? That, that would be kind of my concern. Um, if she's their number one option, I don't know how much better – I don't know if she really can get to another level that puts her – in that same conversation well, what, with, with the Maya Moores of this league, um, even like I don't even know if she necessarily has like that Chelsea Gray ability, you know, to shoot the ball late in a game. Um, overall, as the team was eighth in offense, okay, in points per possession. Um, so, re- so really, they, they outperformed their metrics in a way, right? They were eighth in offense and eleventh in defense, but made the playoffs. Um, surprisingly. Looking through synergy, their biggest weakness as a team was their transition game. So they pushed the ball a lot, but they actually weren't very efficient in transition, if that makes sense. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with a lack of reliable three-point shooting, right? Like when you push the ball in transition, um, you're obviously the first goal is to get a layup. But if a team takes that away, what's usually open is quick kickouts for three, and I don't think they've necessarily had reliability there. So, it, again, another interesting thing where kind of stylistically they want to push the ball, but they haven't proven to be able to do it consistently. They were actually 10th in transition efficiency. Wow. Uh, so now my question – so I guess w- what it really comes down to then is do you believe that this is this – is, they should keep this identity knowing that – okay, yeah, they were 10th, but – they're so young, right? And maybe the personnel still seems to be one that would be good pushing the ball. But now the question is, how do you become efficient when you're doing that? Well, I think it's, it's – let me be clear. First of all, with Skylar Dickens, I don't think it's – she needs to take her play to another level. I don't think it's something that necessarily stats can, can really stick out. But, you know, you have a new player or a player who doesn't necessarily know this roster, again, because it's young, even though Liz was here before. You have some more veteran players on the team than you, but I think Skylar needs to take a more of a leadership role mentally and emotionally with this team. Now, moving forward as far as schematically, I think it's very clear to me that often when you have a young team, coaches try and take advantage of that, and it's kind of a do your do your instinct style play and let me teach you some things and we're going to try and run it quicker because we are younger and hey, let's use our legs while we got our legs. Why not? And use that to an advantage versus teams that are a little bit more veteran and have a little bit more savviness to them. But what I think that you have to understand with this team is they're wiser beyond their years and you need to give them the ability, give them the challenge better yet of a legit playbook. I'm not saying last year wasn't a legit playbook, but I'm saying, you know, treat them with the, with the mindset of them being older, imagine that they're a little bit older and this team can go a long way. If you keep handling them with kid gloves, you're not going to have a situation where your team is primed to, to make some big moves. 
Yeah, and and looking again, they were ninth in field goal percentage and ninth in assist percentage. So uh, again, I think they're pushing the ball, but they don't have a lot of purpose behind it. I still believe pushing the ball is the right style for them. Um, now, at least, though, the good news is they can slow it down um, with Cambage, um, and that'll give them another gear. But she's not going to play the whole game, and I, I still think like be, using their length and athleticism should be their style. And, and, and I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think sh- shots are going to fall um, more. I think Ariel Powers helps in that a lot if, if she's healthy. And again, with the assist percentage – it's the same thing. It's it's they're pushing the ball, they're making plays, but they're just not making the shots, right? And so they're not getting the assists. And I'm going to say if you're if you're, if you're trying to be optimistic, it's okay. Offensively, they, they do have the right style. They just need to get better and and make more shots. And with such a young team, that that'll just happen with their individual skill development. So I, I think my overall take looking at them is schematically, I really think the defense should be the number one focus. I don't know who's running the defense on that coaching staff. Um, I think you address that first, knowing I think that if they were eighth in offense, I, I, would, I would guess that they fact that they have a lot of rookies yeah, yeah, who are not going to be there real quick. If players. you could, I think you might have cut out there real quick for the last two sentences. If you could repeat that. I would say I don't know who's running their defense mm-hmm. on that staff. That would be my priority. Because I think if they don't, if they don't adjust the schemes, it's not going to get better. Offensively, I do believe they were they can move up to fifth or sixth instead of like they were eighth, just by the fact of players getting better in the off season. If that makes sense, they're just going to make more shots. I think that was a, the ultimately the problem for them last year was they just didn't make a lot of shots. Yeah, I agree with that. I think confidence is going to do a lot for that. A year under your belt. Um, and an added swagger that's going to come. So let's move on. We're going to close up for, for the Dallas Wings for, for, the, for the session. Um, we reached out over different um, social. We're picking one of a few, basically, uh, questions that were sent to us through fans, through different forms of social media. And this is the one that really stuck out to us. So here it goes. For your Dallas Wings podcast, last year, Sparks announcers made a lot of comparisons between Glory Johnson and Dennis Rodman. Coach Tebow of Washington Mystics complains that they foul on almost every play. They're politely referred to as physical quite often. Liz Beige has her own history with the WNBL. What are the Dallas are the Dallas Wings the official bad girls of the WNBA going into this year? Uh, who? Let's give them a little shout out. Who is that? That question was from Adra Nagaha. Uh, I hope I'm not butchering your name, but just a little, you know, we appreciate the questions. Uh, we got a few others as well. Thought we wanted to address that one. Yeah, I'll let you take this one first. I feel like this is more in uh, your... Your area of expertise and mine. <laughs> I got to say, first of all, I agree with the idea that this is a physical-minded team. I think that's part of the swagger. Last year, it was needed because of how young the team was, I think, to give them a little bit of confidence. I think 
You also have players like Glory Johnson, who brings a swagger. I don't think she deserves the negative attention she often gets, but she definitely brings an aggressive swagger to the game. Adding Liz to the team, I think it's without a doubt you have to expect. If there's one thing I will say before the season starts as a guarantee, this will be a physical team. Um, and that's going to be a great thing because to have you know that that big buddy who's standing behind you while you're that little person talking a little bit of smack, it, you gain confidence, and uh, and I think the team's going to gain a lot of confidence. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I think Las Vegas w- with Bill Lambeer and his, and his style is going to be a v- very physical. You can see by the moves he's making. He's, he's getting rid of players that um, I believe he believes are – Maybe not as physical. Some might use the word softer for him. I I, th- I think Minnesota again is always extremely physical um, on the glass. Um, LA's physical, so I, I I don't think the wings are necessarily like. I, I think this might be a little bit of just kind of talk. You know, I think there are other teams that are very physical as well. Um, I, I think they they did lead the league in getting to the line. So I think if, if that kind of creates a mentality or a reputation of being physical, then they should keep doing that. Um, but I don't know. To me, it's like results are most important. Like you can be physical all you want, but if you're 11th in defense, I mean, it, just, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I often compute a good physical team also with a team that is good at defense. So I think it's hard to, it's hard to, to keep the mindset. But I also will say in those, uh, those bright, bright jerseys, it's hard to think of them as the bad girls of – or the bad boys or whatever you want to call them – of the league. Um, just because I'm blinded. Uh, yeah, I'm blinded. I don't know. My money's on Vegas kind of taking that role. Yeah, I could definitely see that with the, you know, the addition of some of their players and you got Bill Ambeer. Um And I think he's going to kind of implement a tough style to them that he does with every team he's with. But uh, enough about the Dallas Wings. We're going to move on to our second team of this podcast, which is the Indiana Fever. Indiana Fever are coached by Pokey Chapman. Uh, a few years ago, they lost their god, their their leader, their their greatest player of all time, Tamika Catchings, and or two years ago, and last year they really tried to reshape themselves into uh, a new team and take a new identity. I haven't really seen so many moves this off season that tells me they're trying to take on a new identity. Do you have some initial thoughts um, as far as okay? You're a team that had a streak of making the playoffs for a very long time, and this is very general, so not a deep dive yet, but we'll get into that. How do you rebound from that that first time not making the playoffs? They're in a tough spot, I'm just going to be honest. They were 12th in defense last year. I don't see how that improves. I just... Um, you know, maybe they did trade for Kayla Alexander, who I think is a center, a fifth-year center, who maybe can help a little bit as far as rim protection. But she is still like a kind of a you know mostly a backup in her career. I don't know if that really moves the needle. And Pokey Chapman and her her teams in Chicago, I would say, 
um, defense was never the strong suit. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, starting on the defensive end, you know, do, can you see them really moving up from 12th to any, any significant improvement? I mean, I, I haven't seen any moves that tell me, okay, they're going to make huge adjustments. I haven't seen a lot in the offseason. So unless you're coming to me and you're saying, I have faith in the system and, you know, it was first year and they're going to make some adjustments and it's going to work better than it did last year. I don't know. I mean, just as a, a last year was was proof and was statistical, whatever, give me something that tells me that's going to change that equation for this year. And I don't want to be like a super downer or anything, but like, I don't have a lot of that. Like, I don't have a lot of that. I like, yeah. And, and just, well, I was just going to say, I like the re-signing of oh, Wheeler. Okay. Um, I think that was, that was a must need. I'm a fan of Sims, so great to have her. Um, but again, if if your big move is the acquisition of Kayla Alexander, and that's going to bring like the nucleus together, and all of a sudden this team is going to take a different, you know, different shape, then I, I, that does that doesn't sell me. No. I mean, getting a little specific, they were a. They were 11th in guarding the post last year. And again, this is a center league. So you're not going to be a good team if you can't defend inside. And of course, like, to be fair, like, like you said, they lost, you know, their best player in franchise history, someone that led them to a title in 2012 and, and multiple finals appearances. So we expected a dip, but I'm analyzing the team as currently constructed and, and they're 11th in post defense. And I don't think Kayla Alexander alone is going to change that. Um, they're also 12 dead last in guarding spot ups. That is a very, like when you're looking at these numbers of, of defenses to me, spot ups is something I really look at. Um, Cause essentially what that means is t- players are getting wide open. You know, players are getting wide open on them. And when you give up a spot-up opportunity, that means now you have a defender who has to f- close out and fly at somebody, and then they drive right by, and that means somebody else is open. I mean, these were the top five teams in spot-ups. Lynx, Dream, Mercury, Sparks, and Liberty. I think no surprises there. You had the <laughs> probably the four best teams in the league defensively, and Atlanta, who was, you know, under Michael Cooper, was a good defensive team. Um, and so... To me, if you're 11th in post-defense and 12th in spot-ups, that suggests to me that the defense has a lot of problems. Uh, that can't, Unlike Dallas, where I said, oh, that could be shored up with some quick schematic changes, uh, that suggests to me a deeper problem, uh, that people are just simply getting lost out there and leaving people wide open. Which is interesting because, you know, a big move last offseason was bringing in Dupree, you have Marissa Coleman. You have – I'm a huge, huge fan of January. He has got mad skill, and that's why, you know, there's a lot of talk of get Shanice Johnson back. Is she healthy? Get her back, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Brian January – or Brian January, excuse me, is so underrated in this league. And you uh, – it's frustrating for me because I don't see them making moves. It's it's tough when you see such skilled and players who really put it all in there, 
And then you you see that either you know the the team around them isn't built for necessary success in the current league. It's been a critique I have had of the Indiana Fever since I've been following the league, which is their lack of having a true center. They've also often gone with you know smaller, stockier players who aren't even necessarily more more mobile. They have muscular players though, and they definitely play hardball. But their defense needs to step up. I mean, just look at the game against uh, Minnesota, and obviously that's the lowest of the low in probably Fever history. When Minnesota went on like some 35-point scoring run, they were up by 50, I think it was at one point. Um, Like, you got to get some defense going. And I don't know – I don't think bringing like a backup player from a losing team – and this is really harsh, I know. I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything. But like bringing a a backup center – from a losing team isn't a move that's going to help me as an Indiana fan to say, hey, this team's on the right track. I think you have a lot of talent on this roster. But again, besides Candice Dupree and Marissa Coleman, you don't have... I mean, uh, let me stop. I, I, I mean, listen, there are some nice pieces there, but if we're going to say there's a lot of talent, I mean... Which teams don't – I mean, I don't know. It, it, compared to the other teams, is that a roster that's really putting fear in your eyes? Not at all. I mean, I don't think they have one – they don't have a true star. Now, other teams have Wait, enough, me, enough overall level that it doesn't matter. Like, But even, but even, even teams that don't have a quote-unquote true star have a true star. I mean, name, name me a random team in the league. Uh Son, John Quill Jones, okay. Chicago Sky, Dolson, or Quigley. You know, like every team has someone who is a dominant force to some ex- some extent. You know, like we were talking about Dallas earlier. Glory Johnson can be that dominant force. Um, Powers has had her games. Um, they have multiple players. Skyler, like, who is a player on this team? Candace Dupree, and I don't. I'm very, I'm a big, big fan of her, but like getting some like, what, what is it called, stat fluffing, because she's on this team, so she's getting a lot of time to score a lot of points and put up a lot of good stats. Yeah, I mean, I see a few problems. Back to like breaking down their defense, um, because they don't have a true center, like you said, that means now you got to double the post. Now you got to bring multiple players. What does that result in? It's giving up a lot of easy spot-ups, which they're dead last in. That's a problem. Second of all, when I looked at their roster, I feel as though a lot of their offensive players, like their good defensive players are not their good offensive players. I feel like they don't have a starting five that really can compete on both ends of the floor. They don't, um, for example, um, Erica Wheeler, who obviously crushed it offensively and had some huge games, was seventh percentile in the league on defense. You know, uh, Chanwa, 11th percentile on defense. January was, <coughs> sorry about that, was 36th percentile and dealt with some injuries and just wasn't her best season. Tiffany Mitchell was by far their best defender, 81st percentile. But how much does she bring offensively? So I think, like you said, like, just overall, this is not the most talented roster in the WNBA. Um, I'm gonna, 
not even. I'm going to say something that I know we said it from the beginning. Not going to hold anything back. Um, probably not going to be a very appreciated line. So I mean it with all respect. To me, for lack of a better term, this is a roster made up of. I don't want to say role players because that's a horrible, a horrible term. But players that would fit into other teams, it's made up of players that would fit into other teams to provide that that one thing. Though those couple things. Like, they're not players that together make a viable team to compete for a championship or a legitimate playoff spot in my mind. Um, um, exactly. They have a lot of players who, if they were the sixth or seventh person, you know, like six six woman or, you know, seventh off the bench would be really valuable, but they don't have a lot of two way players. And so whatever unit of five they have out there is going to struggle on one, one end of the floor. And, you know, I want to say, you know, Wheeler would kind of be maybe if we're being optimistic that she really blows up. I mean, she's gotten better every year. She averaged 12 points a game last year. Um, that was up from eight in 2016 five in 2015 so i mean look in her fourth year if she can get that up to 15 16 17 really blow up maybe she keeps them in some games but like i said her uh defensively she really she, her numbers were not good last year so what's the net effect there um and then you know with pokey chapman i mean schematically are you confident she can kind of maximize what they do have when they're sealing really might honestly be getting being like ninth place. Well, now let's keep this in mind, though. They have a top pick. This is a deep draft. Do you see them is... Okay, if... if you, all right, put it this way. Your head coach at Indiana Fever, you have, I believe, the number two pick in this draft. Um, is there what... Do you go for... I mean, and we've discussed this a lot. Is the league at a point where you go for the best athlete or do you go for a player to beat other teams, specific other teams in this league, you know, the Lynx, the Sparks? How do you draft? If, if you're Indiana Fever and you're looking at this draft, and again, we're not going to do like a whole mock draft or whatever right now, but what would you be looking at? You're looking at a two-way player, is that what I'm getting at? A true center two-way player? Center two-way player? Um, well, th- that's the problem. It, it, because they pick second, um, it's, re- it's really, a, they're in a tough spot, I'm not going to lie, because, you know, obviously the first pick brings a lot of value, and then Chicago has picks three and four. So they're in a great position. They, they can kind of sit back knowing they're going to get two really good players. They can worry a little bit less about striking out. Fever in a tough spot because, like you said, do with a second pick, I tend to believe you just got to take the best player available. Um, they, I, I think they need to just take the best player available. They can't think about position because they have so many question marks. Um, th- th- this is a team that's rebuilding. They're not, they're not a title contender this year. So I believe they just have to take the best talent available and start to build from there as opposed to saying, hey, we're one piece away. We know we need a, a center or a small forward. So let's take a center or a small forward. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Um, um, yeah. looking at Kelsey Mitchell, you know, yeah. um, the summit had her second in their mock draft. 
the 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 guard out of Ohio State. She 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 does fit the like Kelsey Mitchell would be somebody who could can kind of be that franchise player that they're lacking. That you're saying somebody who just would kind of immediately be the most talented player on the team and somebody who will take a lot of shots. Um, she shoots close to forty percent from three. So in terms of like a usage player, um, she kind of fits that mold. Um, so I, I do believe that's who they'll take um, because she's probably, I mean, you know, Gabby Williams is up there, um, Diamond DeShields. Um, you, you could argue DeShields, maybe like raw talent, well, maybe so a little better about that. All right, looking at it, okay, you got the 6-1 forward in DeShields, and then you got the 5-8 guard. And then you take a look at the Indiana Fever roster, and, you know, you got some vet forwards in there, and you got some mid-career guards. If I'm thinking, like, all right, first of all, rumors aside, but I will get those rumors out there. There's been a lot of rumors about Pogi Chapman wanting to Shields. Um, I believe meeting her wherever she's playing, I forget, some European country. Uh, and like the only player in the draft right now that Pokey follows on like Instagram is is Diamond. So like there, there's a lot of rumors around uh-huh. that. There's a lot of ru- there's some hoopla about that. Maybe it, it's it's blown up. But as far as like who fits the team the best is playing both ways. I mean, the sky is truly the limit for the Shields, and everyone says that. But she could really fit into this team and kind of. Change, change. I don't want to say the culture of the team, but move them from kind of this gloomy heads down situation to something more up. Something more up. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I think they need to take the Shields or Mitchell. Um, I love Gabby Williams. Uh, I think she's going to be a great pro, um, and her versatility is invaluable. I think if she falls to three with Chicago, that, that that's going to be phenomenal. I think Indiana needs just the the pure upside. I think Mitchell and the Shields. Um, I'd have to dig into the film a little bit more to say who I would lean towards. I'm not just going to make something up. I would say though, right now for me, either of those two fit the mold of like a franchise caliber guard who can kind of take over games and take up a lot of shots. Um, for a team that desperately needs, and uh, uh, as gloomy as we've been, I think if, if you're again, if you're being optimistic, it's hey, if you have a if you have Wheeler and DeShields or or Wheeler and Mitchell, that's some pop, you know that that's some nice pop. It almost reminds me a little bit of like Lillard and McCollum in the NBA. Now the roster is still lacking around them, but at least you might feel like we have two studs now in the backcourt who can light it up. And we need to find, obviously, some um, a center and, and, and some, some really nice complementary pieces that are younger and fit the timeline of Wheeler. Um, but I think they should definitely go with Mitchell or DeShields. Uh, I think you just take the risk with either of them as potential franchise players. Um, but, but it's not an easy spot. I think, like I said, being first or being third and fourth is a lot more of a preferable position. Well, I, um, because what if you miss? Yeah. What, what if you miss? What, what, what if you take Mitchell or DeShields and, it, and, and, and they're a bust? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but what if you miss? Um, now it's, you know, like, for example, if you're going first, you get Wilson. And even if she's not like the all WNBA players, many believe she'll be, like she's still going to be a quality 
big who provides rebounding and defense at minimum, mm-hmm. right? And if you pick third and fourth um, and you take Gabby Williams and then which either DeShields or Mitchell, you know, uh, the odds are what you're going to hit on one of those, right? Like I think Gabby Williams, like, again, is another player that even if she doesn't reach her peak, brings a lot of things to the tables as far as defense and rebounding and athleticism. If you go second and you strike out, I mean, now you're, I mean, now you, again, like, where's the optimism? I mean, I guess then you're just kind of doing what San Antonio's done and you just have to kind of play for multiple drafts until you feel like you really hit. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting the way you, you phrase that because it got me thinking. This team, let's work with this whole, you know, team built of six, uh, of six players, you know, one and twos off the benches, you know. Your top, your top players off the bench. To me, that says if you can get, you know, a, a top quality player like you were saying off in the draft at number two, which is the snake pit of top five draft picks in my opinion. Because you know, you get the five. No one expect like you have high expectations, but it's not a big deal if it's a bust, you know. As opposed to like you were saying, the two, that's a huge fall, especially for a team that fell from from what it was to what it is now. Um, and, and getting out of the gloom, though, I'm trying to look from a positive perspective. This team is one draft pick away from saying, okay, we have two really skilled players, all right? We have one skilled vet in, in, in Dupree or, you know, in, in someone else that they have, Mitchell or whoever else. Well, they have Mitchell, January, yeah. Dupree. They have a lot of good veterans, but the problem is they're they're playing for the future. Exactly. So, but you know, my thought process is... What are, you, what are your thoughts on... Well, no, I was just going to say, like, it's 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 a much prettier picture when you have, you know, two, two top players or whatever, and then three six and sevens off the bench versus having all six and sevens off the bench. Because I think a couple of them with a complementary player can go up to that next level of being, all right, cool, you would be a top five, you know? Right. I mean, my advice, like to summarize, if if I was running that team, I would try to trade some of these veterans. Um, I would try to look at some teams that need a veteran, you know, maybe a Dallas, maybe a Connecticut that feels like they're really young and talented, but they kind of need somebody in the locker room or whatever it is. I think you want to hold on to one veteran, whether that's January or Mitchell, but I think they got to try to get younger somehow. Um, um, and then in the draft, my one question for you though, is now draftsite.com and not that they're necessarily reputable, but they have Maria Vidiva, the center from Russia, the six, three center, largely considered to be a project. They have her listed as the second best prospect in the draft. Would Pokey Chapman consider that? What are your thoughts? Cause that's kind of a wild card in all this. Um, we, we were talked a lot. Everyone's talking a lot about Gabby Williams, DeShields, Mitchell. Here you have Vadiva as this other kind of wild card. So, what I will say that initially jumps out, and then just remind me, I have a, a crazy trade idea for Indiana. Um, what jumps out when you say that is Pokey has an experience being in Europe overseas, and I believe she coached in Russia overseas, or maybe it was Poland. Um, so if, if there's going to be a coach that's going to make that type of risky play, it would be her. But again, what we've been talking about so much 
is how risky it is with the second pick. So going with that assumption, I don't think she goes crazy like that. I, I don't see why she would. It's, you know, I mean, like, she's trying to, to show the fan base that, yes, we lost our Hall of Famer, and I feel like we're just repeating that so much, but it was really such a blow, not just for the W, but for the fan base of Indiana. She's still around. She's still part of the team. But Pokey needs to show that she's shifting and making her own path for this team, and I think that comes with her, you know, getting a, a solid draft pick. But that's my problem with the coach slash GM because the coach, Pokey Chapman, probably looks at a DeShields and, or a Kelsey Mitchell and says, this helps me more now, right? Like these players will, can be the face of the franchise. They help me now as a coach. But maybe if you were just a GM, you might look at this and say, look, we're, we're three or four years away from competing. Well, maybe we want to take this Vidiva because – if we believe she she could really turn into something special as a center two to three years down the road, and that's just the best prospect available, then I feel like a strict strictly GM might go that way. And so I feel like you have a conflict of interest there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's the balance, the dance that you normally do between a GM and a coach, which is really tough. Speaking of GMs and coaches – Thought that just popped in my head while we were while you were going over uh, the idea of possibly trading some of these vets. Now, if you're if, if you follow the W semi closely, you're probably aware of the fact this isn't shocking. Um, between Candace Dupree and now, of course, I'm blanking on her name with the Phoenix Mercury, are married, and she's coming back. From you know, they they both reached out to their their respective agencies. I believe they have the same agent, and they have said that they would like to be on the same team. Now, if I'm Duana Bonner, um, if I'm GM slash head coach Pokey Chapman, I'm looking at this Phoenix Mercury's roster. All right, they've made some moves, some moves that we talked about earlier in the little, the little media breakdown. They've got some. They've got some questions, and they've got a lot of paint presence. And you're a team that's lacking paint presence. I think there's something to be said there. Yeah, there there is a move to be made because, like Phoenix, I just feel like, given Tarasi's age, they're still they're in a win now mode, right? Like you have. Well, I don't think they're on LA or Minnesota's level, like. Like they have won a title recently, they have Brittany Griner and Tarazi. Um, they're 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 going to operate to win now, and Dupree could bring them something, especially after losing Monique Curry. And like you said, since they they have just added a bunch, they added both Littles, Sancho and Camille. Maybe there is a, a move there. Um. Yeah, so I, I think that's something that fans should keep their eye out on just because of, you know, the, the depth on both sides. And, and on paper, it makes sense. But again, this isn't 2K, so, or NBA, sorry, WNBA Live. We, uh, we don't like 2K around here. Um, well, we're, we're kind of closing up fever, fever talk, and I'm feeling a little hot and bothered. So I figured let's, let's go out, and, and I was looking through some questions we got from some Fever fans. And it looks like, for the most part, we already covered them. Uh, in what we are chatting about. So I'm going to ask one that comes from 
at Fever Fanatics, otherwise known as Fever Nation, um, one of the the Fever Twitter fan accounts, and they asked, "Do you guys think Shanice will be in the Fever jersey this season?" We touched on it briefly. My answer, point blank, is I wouldn't be surprised either way. In all honesty, though, I don't I don't see it as an important job or an important an important decision. Kenneth uh, Johnson, sorry. What are you? What? Elaborate on that a little bit, though. All right, she's a five-year vet. I think at that point, you know what you've gotten. So, this to me has gotten a lot of headlines because she would be a great, a great person who could fill in other positions on other teams. But then again, is she really a player that's going to shape the Fever for next season? Is she a player that's really going to help the Fever? in anything. And I don't necessarily think she will because I mean I'm looking at her game logs in her seasons. Look, she she didn't start a lot of games. She did in 2013, she did in 2015 where she was starting basically the whole season. Um but injuries have plagued her. You know, her highest points per game was 11.3. I don't that doesn't pop off the paper to me. Um she was logging legitimate minutes where she should be pulling in, you know, more assists or, or or more things, period. So, to me, she's not the player that's really going to help this team. So, to me, it's 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 not a factor that really matters. You know, would it be cool to see her back on the team? Do I enjoy watching her play? Yes, I want her in the league. Do I think she's important to making this team better? No. Okay. I, I, I actually think, you know, she, she did post... I mean, she only played 14 games last year, so it's a little bit of small sample size theater. But she she posted a PER player efficiency rating of 20, and then the league average is 15. So that's okay. so that's good. And in 2016, she posted a PER of 16. So again, about league average, like you said, not not a game changer. But for her career, she's above league average. Um, She's 5.1 in offensive win shares. Um, I, I don't know. I actually, diving into her advanced stats, she's a quality rotation player. Um, again, like our overall view on Indiana, um, it's not like she changes that so much. But Well, that's um, what I'm getting at. Yeah, but, but, you know, she averaged 11 points a game last year on a team that struggles to score. Uh, so... I don't know. I, I think she's actually an underrated player. All right. So if you're if you're head coach, you think you, you try and bring her back? I think so. Um, she, you know, this would be her, I believe, her seventh season. Um, I don't know. I, I just, when I see her player efficiency numbers at 11 points a game, to me, that's someone who can help you. I, I just think, like I said, I don't think she moves the needle for Indiana, but I'm saying I think she could really help a team out there. Speaking of which, and, and, and then we'll close it out, if she's not on Atlanta, you know, obviously, uh, sorry, if she's not in Indiana, what team would be a good fit? Obviously, Atlanta's off the market. I think, you know, if she is healthy, she could be interesting going on over to uh excuse me, the Sparks, or Minnesota. There's been some chatter about her going to Minnesota. I wouldn't be surprised. They need to fill a guard role there. 
uh, even if they have utmost faith in Alexis Jones. Um, are there any other teams that pop out? I mean, what about New York? New York hasn't been doing anything all 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 off season really, besides, you know, trying to share up some ownership and share up some coaching. Do you think she could be a good fit there or where besides Indiana would you place her? I think she's somebody that just slides in anywhere because like I think her best role would be like the seventh player in a rotation to come in and just score the basketball. Um, so Minnesota seemed like a good thing with, with Renee Montgomery uh, gone. Um, New York lacks scoring, so that helps. That could help them as well. I think with LA, like, and I think we need to clear it up. Like, I took a deeper dive at their cap sheet, and like, they just don't have money. Like, now that they've locked in, I know we're not talking about LA um, in depth, but now that they've locked in Beard and Sims, because I know we had talked about them for Cappy Pondexter, but they don't have, like, if Cappy's looking for close to a max deal, they don't have it. Um, Minnesota has the cap room to add Shanice Johnson, um, and now they have Howard off their books. So that could be a good fit. Um, and you mentioned New York. Um, they still have a lot of cap room as well. Um, though, yeah, you're right. They've been very quiet because uh, – Bria Hartley is still needs to be locked up. I believe. I mean, they they still have a few players that are not yet on their books. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it, it, there's a lot more to happen in this off season, and we're just getting started, people. So we're super excited uh, to have our first podcast covering both teams. We discussed it, and uh, we're we're trying to decide whether or not we're going to devote you know, each podcast to a singular team. That way we can focus better and dive deeper. So, you know, tweet at us, comment, uh, let us know what you think. We're all about fan input. You know, did you, did you enjoy certain aspects of our, of our chat more? Um, Eli, remind the people where they can, I didn't, I, horrible. I did not introduce you or uh, give you a shout out to start. So why don't you say hi to the folks uh, at the end uh, and show them or tell them where they can find your information on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Coach Horowitz13. That's H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z. Um, check out, um, you know, right now we're doing the pod, but we, we do a lot of stuff just via Twitter in terms of breaking news um, and just giving our takes. Um, um, so check that out. Definitely give both of us a follow. We, we try to bring some of these stats and analysis. And in case you ever just didn't have time to listen to the full pod, we try to really give the highlights as well via Twitter. Yeah, definitely. It's been a, it's been an awesome uh, second podcast of the season, and we're beyond excited for next week. Um, we haven't decided who we're covering next week. We have some ideas. We're going to announce it this weekend probably. Um, so I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast, and tell your friends and subscribe. Have a great week.